This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast because marriage without maintenance will break. I am your happily married host, Jason Parham. Together, we're learning how to make marriage and love better. Right now, we are going to learn about six prayers that could change your marriage forever. Okay, here we go. For notes and references, visit fixerupermarriage.org slash prayers. It's late summer, and I'm driving up the interstate highway. I'm in the fast lane, and I'm counting the mile markers. There are these little green signs on the side of the road that mark the miles. I don't know what purpose they serve other than a way like to pass the time while driving. I've just crossed over the state line, and I see mile marker one. So I know I have about 92 more miles before I turn off this road. And I'm thinking about how much I hate traveling. I've lived in the same small town my entire life, and I know it like the back of my hand. I know every shortcut, every back road. I even know the history of all the landmarks. I've lived there so long that everyone looks familiar to me. But now I'm on a road that's taking me away. As I pass another mile marker, mile marker two, I'm trying to decide what to say. I have this stuffed dog next to me. I'd find out later that he barked, but for now he's just sitting there listening. Beside it, a bouquet and a card that I had obsessed over for an hour or more. I feel stupid and exposed. I'm taking a risk. Leaving what I know for something I don't. I don't even know that she'll like me. Or the bigger problem if she'll keep liking me once she knows me. Now I'm getting nervous. So I look at the next marker. It's number three. I think the worst part of this is not knowing. Not knowing how this thing will end. And I'm thinking that this is probably not going to end well for me. She is all the things I'm not. Loving, kind, and pretty. And when I say pretty, she's the kind of pretty inside and out. Everybody likes her. I'm definitely not pretty. And I sometimes wonder if anybody likes me. There's another mile marker, number four. So I start practicing on the stuffed dog again. It just seems better than talking to myself. And this time I even look in the rearview mirror, which doesn't help anything at all. So in complete frustration, I do what all Christians do when they're desperate. I pray. I ask God to somehow force this beautiful young lady to fall in love with me. It seems like a big enough miracle. A couple years later, I'm driving the opposite way on the same highway, passing the same mile markers. They go backwards the other way. I have no idea why. But this time... I'm holding her hand, and we're passing them together. We're driving back to my hometown to spend the rest of our lives together. But I'm not counting the mile markers this time. We're just driving past them. I don't know how many mile markers we've driven past in our love together. But it doesn't matter what they look like or what number is on them, because we are together. And being together is the only marker that counts. 
Here's a quote from Sam King in To Love and Be Loved. We come to love not by finding a perfect person, but by learning to see an imperfect person perfectly. Love is this wonderful, amazing power that changes everything it touches. Love is like a slow atomic bomb. It blows up your life and replaces it with something much more meaningful. People will spend a lifetime looking for love. And for those who lose it, they'll spend the rest of their lives looking somehow to get it back. Once you've fallen in love, you never really get back up. There's no cure for love. Once you have it, you just can't live without it. This is six prayers to end your marriage problems. I'm going to be referring to the Bible primarily from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you'd like to read that before we get started, it would be great. If not, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can read that for yourself. So here are the six prayers. The first prayer involves submission. The second prayer involves knowledge, then respect, empathy, peace, and spiritual enlightenment. I want to introduce a new concept to you. It's called prayer mapping. I got this idea from helping my daughter with a school assignment. Her assignment was called concept mapping, but I've adapted the concept mapping idea to prayer. We'll refer to this throughout today's episode. There'll be an example of this on the website, fixeruppermarriage.org slash prayers. This is the way it works. So you think about your spouse and you think about all the things they're dealing with. You map those things in their life out in this prayer map, and it helps you to understand a little bit of what they're going through and how you can pray for them and how you can empathize with them and how you can better live with them. While you're praying for your spouse, you map out the things that you need to pray for in their life. And by mapping those things out, you discover some things about your spouse that you may not have realized before. And it may help you to understand those things that you need to pray for in your spouse, yourself, and even your marriage. For example, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. So by mapping out some of the challenges of being a stay-at-home mom, I can understand how frustrating of a job this can be at times. This helps you to more effectively pray for your spouse and see things a little differently. If you'd like to see an example of a prayer map and how this works, you can visit the show notes at fixeruppermarriage.org slash prayers. So the first prayer is a prayer for submission. You find this in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. But what exactly is submission? I think people have this wrong on both sides of the argument. Some people act like the Bible is wrong or antiquated about this, so they just explain it away or try to avoid it altogether. Other people think that it means that the husband just gets to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and the wife just has to like deal with it. But submission is an attitude in your heart. In 1 Peter 3, 3, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair or of wearing of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. For a wife is in the way that you respond to your husband. Even if you think your husband's like completely wrong, you offer your thoughts calmly and express your willingness to accept this decision. It's all about your attitude. 
If you approach your husband in the right way, I don't know of a man who would not listen if he truly loves his wife. Submission is a choice. No one can make you submit. If they did, it wouldn't be Bible submission. You choose to submit to the authority that God has given to you and your husband. It doesn't mean you're less of a person. In fact, it takes more grace and strength to follow than to lead. So the Bible says that the wife should submit herself to her husband. It's not submit like a wrestling move. It doesn't mean you're forcing your wife to submit to you. It doesn't mean that you don't have a choice in the matter. But how do you submit? Submission is a return. Marriage is like this give and take relationship. And sometimes it means giving more than you take. So you give by submitting to your husband in authority and respect. So if your husband is not leading, you talk to him about it and let him know that you want him to lead your home and your family and your marriage. You're both equal, but the spirit-filled wife agrees to follow the lead of her husband as you both follow Christ. And by the way, earth-shattering news here, submission is two-way. You can find this principle in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So even the husband submits to the needs and wants of his wife. If the husband loves his wife like he should, he has her best interest in mind. This is the Bible model for marriage, for the husband to lovingly lead his wife and the wife to follow. You know, If your marriage is not there right now, it's okay. You can get there with God's help. I'm just going to be honest here. I don't always lead like I should, and my wife doesn't always follow like she should, but we're working on it, and that's what marriage is all about. There's this song that was popular when I was little, and it's still true. It's called, He's Still Working On Me. So here it goes. I'm not going to sing it. Trust me, you don't want me to do that. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter. I'm the clay. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. So here's the first prayer. Remember I said this is six prayers that could change your marriage. The first prayer. And I'll have these online. FixerUppermarriage.org slash prayers. So here's the prayer. Lord, help me to submit to the needs and wants of my spouse and to be the Christian and spouse that you want me to be. Let your will control my thoughts and my attitude toward my spouse. Okay, here we go. A prayer for knowledge. And this is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. So in order to pray a prayer of knowledge, you must first become a student of your spouse. Pay attention to the things that your spouse likes and dislikes. You just can't love your spouse properly without understanding this. And I think that the prayer map that I've been talking about can help you see some of the bigger things. But I think that sometimes it's the small things that really matter. When I go to the pharmacy and pick up a medication for my wife, they always ask me for her birthday. So I ask them to start asking for my anniversary because it's just great practice, but they don't do that. Remembering special moments and things that your spouse likes helps you connect with them and to dwell with them according to knowledge, which is the Bible admonition. 
I don't like sweets at all. I just don't get it. I might buy, say, some ice cream because I think I might want that ice cream at some point. And I'll put it in the freezer and maybe a week, maybe even two weeks will pass. And I'll finally decide I want some ice cream. And of course, by that time, it's already gone, right? But I don't get the sweets. I just don't have a sweet tooth. But my wife, she likes specific sweet things. She likes these candy bars called Whatchamacallit. I don't know if you've ever had those or not. And also, she sometimes likes caramellos. So it brings joy to her when I remember what she likes and I get it for her. But for me, it means more for her to have a meal ready when I get home from work from time to time. Or my favorite jalapeno-flavored beef jerky. It's like, I don't get balloons and flowers. It doesn't mean anything to me. But if you can get me jalapeno beef jerkies, you must really love me. But knowing what your spouse likes is a huge deal in your marriage. Notice and know what your spouse struggles with. Again, if you do a thoughtful prayer map, I think those things will become like really clear to you. It's so easy to get wrapped up in all the things you struggle with and not even acknowledge the problems and disappointments that your spouse maybe has. I think that both husbands and wives struggle with this, but it's a particular problem for husbands. Just like submitting is a particular struggle sometimes for wives. So the Bible addresses this issue straight to the husband. By noticing the things that your spouse struggles with, you can change some things in your life to help them. So remember what I said, that marriage is a give and take. And sometimes you have to give more than you take. Maybe being gone all the time with work and hobbies is not the best thing for your spouse. Maybe bringing work home with you is not the best thing you can do for your marriage. Maybe when you get home, you just set limits. I'm going to talk about work for just a few minutes, but I'm not going to unload on my spouse all night. Here's some areas to identify from prayer mapping. All right, faith. You may discover that your spouse has no interest in spiritual things. Realizing this about your spouse and yourself can help you to make adjustments to your prayer life. So if I don't see interest in spiritual things in my spouse, I should pray that we both can be more faithful to church. I should initiate times when we can read our Bibles together or pray together. You can't force your spouse to do these things, but faith is an individual choice that a person has to make. You especially can't nag them about it, right? But you can pray and fix problems in your own life and do things that you can control. And maybe your spouse is struggling with ministry responsibilities. And doing things for the Lord and the church can be fraught with disappointment. And in your mind, you kind of envision what ministry or serving the Lord will look like. And it rarely works out that way. But understanding that your spouse may be struggling with some things about faith can help you to know how to pray for them. So as you go through the prayer map, if you want to visit fixforuppermarriage.org slash prayers, you can see these different topics lined up in an example prayer map. Here's another example is health. Notice your spouse's health conditions, whether they are physical, long-term, or even emotional. Pray that God heals your spouse. But sometimes suffering is a part of his plan. My wife has been struggling with some health conditions for the past few years. And I've got to the point where I don't pray so much for healing as I do for grace and strength. 
Sometimes you just have to accept things as God's will. But noticing the health problems in your spouse's life helps you to better identify with them. It helps you to understand a little more of what they're going through. How about this personal fulfillment? Notice the hobbies or personal desires that your spouse may have. Sometimes it's easy like to get caught up in your own personal fulfillment that you lose sight of your spouse maybe having their own. Praying for your spouse brings all these things back into focus. Here's another one, family. Consider how your spouse feels about relationships, their role with your children, even ideas about the future. Like where do you want to be in five years, 10 years or longer? Chances are your spouse has ideas about the future too. So you may have to have a conversation to understand what those things may be for them. And then there's career. Stop and think about how your spouse is thinking about what they're doing in life. Maybe, just maybe, staying at home with the kids all the time gets a little old. Maybe your spouse needs a break. But praying for your spouse and identifying these things can reveal some things to you. Maybe your spouse wants to learn something new. Maybe something they can do part-time or just a hobby. Or maybe your spouse would like to do something else. Maybe your spouse didn't envision doing what they're doing right now for like the rest of their life. Maybe they could learn a new hobby or do something to give them that fulfillment. But just knowing and understanding and having an idea of what your spouse is going through helps you to be able to better live with them. You may not be able to do anything about that right now. But you can know better and understand how your spouse is feeling and what they're going through in their life. Maybe make some adjustments and even pray for them more in these specific areas. So here's a prayer for knowledge. Lord, help me to really know the person I'm married to. Open my eyes to see their struggles, their disappointments, and their desires. Help me to learn how to give more than I take from my spouse. Okay, we're moving on. This is a prayer for respect. This is found in 1 Peter 3, verses 7 and 8. I did an entire episode on respect a few months ago. You can find it all at fixeruppermarriage.org slash respect. In it, we spelled out the word R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I'm trying not to sing it. We spelled the word out together and learn how to actually respect each other. But you have to respect the roles of marriage. So here are the roles. For the husband, the Bible model is that the husband is a spiritual head of the marriage. So we talked about this earlier. He is to lovingly lead and care for his wife. A spirit-filled husband will lead his wife with her best interest in mind. So it's not like, I'm the big kahuna kind of attitude, right? It's a I love my wife kind of attitude. And the model for this is found in Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So the husband gives his time, his energy, his thoughts, his plans, and even his future to love and to lead his wife. In the role of the wife The wife is to lovingly follow the lead of her husband, but she has to do it willingly. 
just like the church has to willingly follow Christ. In our text, the Bible says that the wife is the weaker vessel. You know, I do think that men are generally speaking stronger than women, but I have met some women I would not want to face in a dark alley. So I don't believe that's what the Bible is talking about when it says this. It means emotionally weaker or more emotionally focused. And women have a deep desire to love and depend on their husbands. So a wife can find joy by lovingly deferring authority to her husband. Now, this goes completely against our culture today. And you can choose not to follow the Bible, but you are robbing yourself of a great joy. It's okay and it's normal to depend on your husband emotionally, financially, and physically. So the wife is not less important than the husband, but in a way she's more so because everything he does should be focused on lovingly leading her with her best interest in mind. So what is the meaning of all this? I think that a lot of people have this wrong. I see elements of a like hierarchy type relationship of Christ, then the husband, and then the wife, like over each other in authority, but not the way some people are reading into the Bible. So this does not mean a hierarchy, hierarchy in the sense of meaning or importance or worth. Or that the wife just has to go along with everything her husband says. Or even worse, that every woman has to submit to every man in the world. Here's like an example that I thought of. Let's just say that a a Christian husband who rarely prays, rarely reads his Bible, doesn't lead his family spiritually, tells his wife that God is calling them to do something. Is she just supposed to do it because he said that? No, she shouldn't. She should question him. If God is speaking to you, why is he not telling you to read your Bible and pray and lead your family at home? She has to be able to trust his leadership in order to follow. So husbands and wives have unique responsibilities to live up to. The wife follows the husband as the husband follows Christ. And by the way, they both have to follow Christ together. It's not this like boss-subordinate-employee relationship that some people make it out to be. So both the husband and wife are equal, but they serve each other in two completely different ways. The husband's job is to lovingly lead, while the wife's job is to lovingly follow. It's all based on loving each other. It's all based on giving to each other. It's based on the husband dying to himself and giving to his wife. It's based on the wife dying to herself and loving her husband. So this is how it actually functions. The husband respects his wife by treating her as a vessel that he needs to honor and care for. While the wife respects her husband by treating him as the head. So it's all about in the way you treat each other in the relationship. So the husband should feel respected and loved while the wife should feel loved and cared for. Your actions are important, but you respect your spouse by the way you make them feel. So it's not so much with what you do, it's how you're interacting with your spouse. So are you making your wife feel honored? A husband may say, 
I bought you flowers or I told you I loved you. But are you making her feel honored? You know, sometimes I'll do something special for my wife and I'll think I have shown honor to her. But are you making her feel honored? You know, I can't control how my wife feels, but I can do things and say things or touch her in gentle ways that illustrates my honor toward her. I can make her feel honored and special by the way I treat her, the way I interact with her every day. Are you making your husband feel respected? No wife may say, hey, I washed your dirty underwear. How much more can I do to respect you? Or I made you supper. But are you making him feel respected? Okay, you can't control how your husband feels. But you can say things, do things, treat him in certain ways that illustrate your respect toward him. Respect and honor are things that are quantified by the recipient. So your goal should be to make your spouse feel respected and honored. So a husband may say, I bought you flowers or I told you I love you. And he can point and argue to the things he did all day long. But if he's not making his wife feel honored on a daily basis, if she doesn't feel honored, it doesn't matter how much you argue. Or a wife may say, I made you supper. I respect you. You could argue all you want, but if your husband doesn't feel respected, he's not being respected like he should. Okay, should a wife be respected? Of course. Should a husband be honored? Of course. But the Bible addresses these specifically to a husband to honor his wife and a wife to respect her husband because he made them different. He made two genders, male and female. And when They enter together into the marriage covenant. There are certain primal needs that they have. And for a man to feel respected, it changes the dynamic of the whole relationship. And for a woman to feel honored and special, it changes the whole dynamic of their relationship together. Respect the responsibilities in marriage. As a Christian, you have this unique relationship where you're not only husband and wife, but you're heirs together of the grace of life, as the Bible says. If you have Jesus in your hearts, you are both children of God. So it sounds kind of weird, but you are brother and sister in Christ too. So there is this principle of treating each other as equal heirs in spiritual things. The one thing that I want more than anything else in life is that when I see Jesus face to face for the first time, to not be ashamed. I want to hear him say the words, well done to me. And I want my wife to hear those same words. So I have to pray for her every day that God will help her to live a victorious life. And I have to help her in any way that I can so that she can hear those words too. So marriage is not just about what you do or say right now, but about how what you do or say will impact what happens in eternity and living together And interacting with each other is just another opportunity to have something meaningful when you face Jesus, to be able to look him in the eyes and know that you did what you could to show honor and respect to your spouse. It's something that you'll have when you see him, something tangible that you did, something lasting and meaningful. So here's our prayer. God, let my heart have real respect for my spouse inform my actions to show honor to them. Give me the grace to treat my spouse
better than myself. So we move on to a prayer for empathy. You find this in 1 Peter 3, verses 7 and 8 again. Okay, so this is when prayer mapping really comes into play. So if you want to visit the website, fixerupermarriage.org slash prayers, you can see an example of a prayer map and see exactly what I'm talking about. When you lay out all the things that your spouse struggles with, it helps you to see all the things that they're facing and even how they may be feeling. This helps you to fulfill the Bible instructions to be of one mind, having compassion one another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Marriage is serving. When you read in the Bible about marriage, it's easy to see the gaps in your spouse, especially when like you look at all the legitimate needs that you have that your spouse is just not meeting. But unfortunately, the Bible is not framed that way. Instead, the Bible addresses the husband and wife as to what they should each do, not what the other is not doing. So the instructions of the Bible are meant to guide you as to what you should be doing. Sometimes I wish the Bible were framed a little bit differently, but when you read the Bible, it's all about what you should not be doing. A lot of times we want to look at somebody else and we want to see all the things that they're not doing right, especially in marriage. That's not the way God intended the Bible to be read. It's all about you. It's all about what you need to do. In other words, Bible instructions are about what you are not doing, not anyone else. So the husband is to lovingly honor and lead his wife. For the husband, there's a period. You lovingly lead and honor your wife. And the wife is to lovingly respect and follow her husband. That's it. It's not the wife's job to fix the husband or the husband's job to fix the wife. No, it's your job to fix yourself. Marriage is an opportunity to serve your spouse. Serving your spouse is not really serving your spouse if you do things expecting something in return. So if you do something for your spouse, there is this expectation that you'll get something back from them. That's not serving. So what happens when they don't return the favor? Chances are you may, you could get resentful and maybe even angry at your spouse because you're doing these things for them and they're not doing their job in return. But that attitude is not what serving each other is all about. That's not a Bible marriage. So you ask, what about my needs and my wants? The better question to ask yourself is this. Who should I be depending on to meet my needs? Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. In 2 Corinthians 9 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You work to serve the needs of your spouse. And you depend on God to meet your needs. That's hard. So instead of depending on your spouse, you depend on Christ. Christ may use your spouse to meet your needs, but you have to depend on him to meet those needs. You have to rely on him to be your sufficiency. Marriage is not all about your needs. Although those needs may have been the thing that pushed you to get married in the first place. Those needs make you vulnerable to your spouse, and that's okay. 
Being vulnerable is really what the commitment of marriage is all about. I may not get my needs met. I may not get what I want out of this relationship. My spouse could leave me. My spouse could hurt me. My spouse could absolutely refuse to meet any need that I have. But I am committed to serving her as I serve Christ and depending on him to meet my needs. The thing is, this requires faith and faith can sometimes be hard. The Bible has the answer for your problems. But sometimes those simple answers can be really hard to put into practice. This is one of those things. There's this illustration of faith being like skydiving. Because when you jump out of that plane, there's a time when you're just falling and there's just nothing. Maybe you're falling for a few seconds or a minute. But there's nothing until that parachute comes out. Depending on Christ can be that way too. There are times when it seems like you're just falling, but just at the right time, Jesus is there to catch you. It was that way for me when I first put my faith in Christ. I remember I was in a church, and you can put your faith in Christ. You can ask Jesus to save you anywhere. But I was at church, and I stepped out into that aisle. I made the choice that I was going to put my faith and trust in Christ. And I stepped out that first time, And it was like I was just falling. I was just completely letting go. And there was nothing there for a while. Nothing bombastic happened. But I realized that I had a relationship with Jesus. It's like the parachute caught me. Faith is that way sometimes. You just have to let go and you just have to trust God even though you're falling, even though there's nothing there. And just believing the Bible and doing things God's way and trying to do things the Bible way, it's like that. You just have to trust him. And you may be falling for, it's not like skydiving, like you're just falling for a minute or so. You may be falling for a while. You may feel that way for some time, maybe even an extended amount of time. But eventually, he's going to catch you. It's easy to blame your spouse or to leave when things get hard. But God wants you to serve your spouse and depend on him. So really, by serving your spouse and ministering to their needs, you're really serving the Lord. So there's this complete picture that we have from the Bible. As a Christian, there are times in marriage when you're just ministering to your spouse and depending on God. But if you can both get on the same page, being of one mind, as the Bible puts it, then you have a marriage that works the way God intends for it to work. So here's the way the Bible lays it out. Have compassion toward one another. Love and treat each other as worthy because of your value to Christ. So you love as brethren. This means that you love and treat each other worthy of respect and honor because of your value to Christ. Your worth is not determined what someone says or does to you. Your worth and your value is determined by what Jesus thinks about you. And you treat your spouse as worthy because of what Jesus thinks about them. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. You treat each other with sympathy. Trying to put yourself in your spouse's shoes. That's what the prayer map is all about. Be courteous. Be kind to each other. 
I mean, these all seem like really simple things to do. But living with each other creates conflict and challenges every day. You have to pray and depend on God to help you with these things. But if you're both on the same page, if you're of one mind, your marriage problems are really not problems at all. So the problems are still there, but you have a marriage that's working the way that God intended. You're both of one mind. And even though you may still have problems, you may still have conflict, you may still have difficulty, those problems are not really that big of a problem because you're both serving each other and you're both depending on Christ for your needs. Now you can serve God together and live in the principle of two lives becoming one. So this is illustrated in the words of Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. It's a complete picture of marriage. When you can both serve the Lord together and work together is better than you serving the Lord by yourself. If you can just get on the same page. So here's the prayer. Lord, help me to become completely vulnerable to my spouse, to minister to their needs, and to learn how to depend on you for my own. May our marriage draw a picture of compassion, love, and kindness. Okay, so here's a prayer for peace. You find this in 1 Peter 3, verses 9 through 11. If you want to have peace, you're going to have to learn how to respond with understanding. Creating a prayer map for your spouse can help you to better understand what's actually going on in your spouse's heart and mind. Again, if you'd like to see an example, visit the show notes at fixerupermarriage.org prayers. You cannot read your spouse's mind. But taking the time to think about what they're going through can help you when conflict happens. Here's a for instance. If through prayer mapping, you notice that your spouse has some specific health problems, but that could be why they're snapping at you sometimes. If they're in pain because of some health problems, no wonder they're a little moody. Or if you realize that your spouse has some frustrations at their job or with their career, maybe you could understand then why they might be a little preoccupied. And this doesn't give an excuse for people to do wrong. But this helps you to understand what your spouse may be going through. When you're having a disagreement, you don't have to come back at your spouse. This has been a common marriage problem for about 6,000 years. So the Bible addresses it directly. These are the words that the Bible uses. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. So you don't have to have a comeback for everything your spouse says to you. Honestly, when someone you love says something hurtful, a lot of times there's some measure of truth in what they're saying. And words really only have the power that you let them have over you. Some people have this philosophy that you should come at someone the same way they come at you. That does not come from the Bible. You can be firm with someone without being ugly. So yes, you should stand up for yourself and you don't have to accept verbal abuse. But at the same time, you don't have to get down into the mud with your spouse and try to win an argument. Here's a newsflash. Nobody wins an argument in marriage. When you fight, everybody loses. Here's some tips for surviving a lover spat. Don't talk about it until you calm down. After some reflection in prayer or maybe even prayer mapping, 
you can discuss how you and your spouse are feeling in a constructive way. Instead of using words to tear each other down, instead you're building each other up, which is what the Bible says to do in 1 Peter 3, but contrarywise blessing. Also, understand that the spat may not be what the spat is really about. Sometimes fighting in marriage is a superficial response to a deeper problem. So you don't rail for rail because what you're railing about or what your spouse is railing about may not be what the problem is really about. If you are not working toward making your husband feel respected or to make your wife feel honored and special, that could be the real problem. So when your wife rails about you leaving things sitting around the house, the real problem may be that you never show appreciation to her. If your husband is biting your head off or ignoring you, when is the last time you went out of your way to meet a need for him in a respectful way? Instead of getting even, try being a blessing instead. Okay, so instead of evil for evil or railing for railing, try returning evil with pity or try returning railing with being courteous. This is what the Bible is teaching when it says, contrarywise, blessing. Being good and kind when you're dealing with your spouse will yield a better result in eternity. So this means that you have to set aside your pride and die to your own feelings. So maybe you pull out some paper and write out a prayer map for your spouse, and then you pray for them. I promise if you pray for your spouse, you will feel differently toward them because praying for someone changes your attitude toward them. Be careful with your words. My mother always told me, if you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. So once you're calm, you can deal with things with words that don't have like hidden meanings or guile, as the Bible says. Think before you speak, because your words can hurt people. There's this old saying that I'm sure you've heard. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will not hurt me. So I said earlier that you don't have to let someone's words have power over you. But even though that's true, people have a tendency to let words hurt them anyway. And you should not be the one doling out hurtful words, especially to your spouse. When you've been together for a while, you get comfortable and you feel secure in your marriage. It's easy to take that security for granted. So what happens is you think in your mind that you can get away with treating your spouse badly because, after all, you're married for life, right? Okay, this is bad logic for marriage. I addressed this in an episode entitled, Why is Love So Messy? Actually, that feeling of complacency and security is not really true. And that feeling can hurt your marriage because you start to think that you can just treat your spouse any way you want, and they'll just keep taking it. Or will they? Will your spouse really keep taking you, mistreating them? It's possible to win a battle of words, but lose your marriage. On June 17, 1775, British forces engaged the colonial army during the American Revolution in Bunker Hill, Massachusetts. It would become known as the Battle of Bunker Hill. They were fighting for control of like this strategic location on a hill. The colonists eventually ran out of ammunition because they were so outnumbered, and the British won the battle. 
But in the process, they lost a thousand men. A hundred of them were officers. And the battle left the British forces depleted and demoralized. This became a turning point in the war, and it rallied the colonial army to an eventual victory in the war. So the ancient military idiom proved true. You can win a battle, but lose the war. Actively seek peace. Instead of trying to win an argument against your spouse, try striving for peace instead. Instead of fighting, learn how to pray. You don't have to do a complicated prayer map like I did. But spend a set amount of time every day praying for your spouse. After all, that's what being a Christian is all about. It's seeking peace with other people and seeking peace with someone much bigger than you both. There is this peace with God that can only come through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So here's our prayer. God, make me the peacemaker in my marriage. Help my response and words to be seasoned with your grace, kindness, and mercy. Create in me a heart of humility and a mind to find the good in my spouse. Okay, so we've made it to the last prayer, a prayer for spiritual enlightenment. You find this in 1 Peter 3, verse 12. There's a contrast here. God paints this contrasting picture of two people, and you can choose to be either one. There is the person who chooses to be good. Then there's a person who chooses evil toward their spouse. I have created this chart. You can view it by visiting fixerupermarriage.org slash prayers. So in the chart, I have the contrast that God is drawing of choosing to do good in one column and choosing to do evil in the other. So here we go. When you choose to do good, you engage in prayer for each other. If you choose to do evil, You engage in fighting and arguing. Good is speaking constructive words. Evil is using words that tear down. Good is depending on God to meet your needs. Bemoaning your spouse for not meeting your needs. Good is actively serving one another. Evil is complaining about your spouse not serving you. Good is submitting to your Bible role in marriage. Evil is fighting for your rights and your own power. Good is focusing on eternity. Evil is focusing on what you don't have now. So there are huge stakes involved with all this. When you're dealing with your spouse, it's sometimes easy to miss what the stakes are really about. God not only draws this contrast of your choices within the marriage relationship, but he also draws the contrast of his attitude toward us depending on the choices we make. Here's his attitude from 1 Peter 3. His eyes are over the righteous. He hears them pray, but his face is against them that do evil. So if you choose to do good for your spouse, God is watching over you. But if you choose to do evil toward your spouse, he is against you. So if you're choosing to do good, he hears you pray. This is his attitude toward you. He hears you pray. If you choose to do evil toward your spouse, God doesn't hear you pray. If you choose to do good, you can have an unhindered relationship with him. But if you choose to do evil toward your spouse, you can't have a right relationship with him either. If you choose to do good to your spouse, you can have a good relationship. You get to have this good relationship with one another. But if you choose to do evil toward your spouse, 
then you want to hurt that relationship that you could have. Here's our prayer, our final prayer. Lord, grant me the spiritual eyes to see the importance of being right with you and being right with my spouse. Help me to make the choice to do good to my spouse. So this was six prayers that can change your marriage forever. You can find all six prayers, as well as an example of a prayer map, and the other tables and references mentioned in this episode by visiting fixeruppermarriage.org slash prayers. Thank you for listening to the Fixer Upper Marriage podcast. If you are a regular listener, you probably noticed that I have been a little inconsistent lately. Some of that is due to the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020. But the truth is, I've been trying to find a healthy balance in my personal life. I have my own marriage to think about, my kids. I've been helping more with their schoolwork, my job, church activities, and somewhere in all the things I have to do, I also have to sleep. So I've had to make some adjustments to managing my time. So thank you for being a faithful listener. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you and your marriage. If you have found this episode to be helpful, do me a favor and share it with a friend. Remember that God has great things planned for your marriage. So don't miss it.